0: This morning, we are continuing our January worship series, Sunday Dinner. Now, over the past weeks, we considered comfort food, where the Holy Spirit serves as our comforter and our advocate. Soul food, which is lifelong practices that shape us and mold us as children of God. Fast food, daily disciplines that can take only a few seconds or minutes that help us follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And then today we come to angel food. Our scripture lesson comes from Exodus chapter 16, telling the story uh, that Reverend Sarah shared with our children, beginning with verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Amen. Years ago, the British weekly newspaper... Published a letter to the editor from one of their readers. It said in part it seems ministers Feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them I've been attending church regularly for 30 years now and I've heard about 3,000 sermons to my dismay I have discovered I don't remember a single one. Perhaps ministers might better spend their time on something more profitable. Ouch. That inspired a host of responses to the newspaper, some that supported the sentiment, others that opposed it. And then this letter arrived. I've been married for 30 years. During this time, I have eaten 32,850 meals prepared by my wife. Much to my dismay, I now discover I don't recall a single menu, but I have the distinct impression I would have starved to death without them. Here clearly, I am not suggesting you have to hear Bill Birch's sermons in order to enter into the kingdom of God. I don't know why you would take the chance, but that's not at all what I'm saying to you. But what we do recognize is that the Christian faith is a lifelong journey. And it requires food and drink along the way. Those who persevere and finish the course find spiritual refreshment each and every day. Today's scripture lesson comes from Exodus chapter 16 and it is the aftermath of God's deliverance of the people of Israel out of Egypt. You recall the story. God sends Moses to the Pharaoh and demands, let my people go. But it requires 10 plagues before the king relents. And the Jews have not been gone very long before the Pharaoh changes his mind and sends his armies in pursuit. At the Red Sea, It seems as if the people are about to be destroyed, but God parts the waters, the Jews escape dry shod, but when the Egyptian armies try to follow, the waters come tumbling down. And they lived happily ever after, but not really. You don't have to read much farther into the story to discover the scene today the people began to grumble and complain. They formed the, we want to go back to Egypt committee. Back to Egypt. Back to the land of slavery. Back to the land where their overlords abused them. Back to the land where Pharaoh ordered all of their newborn sons to be murdered. Back to Egypt. I must say, as a pastor, I get a little bit of guilty pleasure in how Moses and Aaron responded to the grumbling and complaints. They said to the people in Exodus 16, verses 7 and 8, who are we that you would grumble against us? You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against the Lord. So the next time you want to complain about preachers, just keep that in mind. But despite the people's ingratitude and disobedience, God continues to bless them. And we hear these words, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them. The blessing comes with a pop test of faith and see whether they will follow my directions. Let me just kill your anticipation. They don't. And so, as Reverend Sarah shared, the next morning they awoke, And there's dew covering the ground, and when the morning sun burns it off, there are these flakes on the ground that almost look like frost or snowfall. And the people say, what is it? That's what the word manna literally means in Hebrew, what is it? I've been to some church-covered dish dinners (laughs) where I've asked the same question. It was white like oleander seed. It was flaky. In Numbers we hear how they would gather it and they would pound it and boil it and shape it into cakes. Extra-biblical Jewish commentaries say that it tasted like milk to children, like bread to youth, like honey to adults. And one commentator went so far as to say it was the food of angels what angels dined upon. Moses said, it is the bread the Lord has given you. And then came the instructions. They were told to take one omer per day per person. In case you don't know what an omer is, it is one-tenth of an ephah. About two quarts. No more, no less. You know what people did. They saw all this stuff on the ground, free food. They gathered up a bunch, took it into their tents. The next morning when they got up, it was filled with maggots and stunk. The only exception was on the sixth day they would get twice the amount because on the Sabbath they were not to work. Some of the people thinking themselves, I've already learned my lesson. I'm not going to try to keep it till tomorrow. Others ignore God's word and figure we'll go out tomorrow and we'll get it and it's not there, but God gives them a double portion on that day to carry them through the Sabbath. The story for me illustrates several spiritual principles. The first is this. The Lord provides for God's people. When you turn to the New Testament, especially the Gospel according to John, there are a series of I am statements by Jesus, two of which are very pertinent today. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I am living water, that God does satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst. Not superficial, but those deep down soul needs of our life, God provides for those. But the second spiritual principle that goes hand with hand with that is that God's people have to do their part. God could have caused manna to appear in the tents, Meals ready to eat, just set out on the table every morning when they awoke. But instead, they had to go out and harvest and work for it. Jesus in his ministry promised that if we seek, we'll find. If we knock, the door will be open. If we ask, it shall be given. But there's some human effort involved in that of seeking, knocking, and asking. That's our responsibility. God's response is providing, opening, and giving. Giving. One of the reasons that you hear us constantly emphasize spiritual disciplines in the Christian life is because these are the key to unlocking God's blessing. God wants to fill our hearts and our lives, but we have to open them to God. And we often talk about what John Wesley called means of grace, daily spiritual practices that help us to grow in faith. In soul food and fast food, we talked about prayer, we talked about Bible study, Christian community, service, these things and more. When you practice means of grace, it's a little like buying Apple stock in the 1960s or 70s. 60s would have been quite a trick. A little investment has a huge return. A daily discipline of some prayer, Bible study, community and service pays lifelong dividends, and has eternal consequence. The third spiritual principle is that God blesses us on a daily basis. God could do just as easily given the Israelites enough manna for the week or for the month, the quarter, or the year, but instead it's daily because he wants to teach the Israelites to depend upon God alone. One of the things I've loved for our children in worship, boys and girls, y'all have been learning the Lord's Prayer, some of you intentionally, others just because you hear it every week. In part of the Lord's Prayer, it says, give us this day our what, guys? Excellent, you nailed it. We repeat that every Sunday. We don't always think about that meaning. When he taught the disciples, they would immediately thought of the story we've heard today from Exodus 16, daily bread. Manna, depending on God each and every day for all of our needs. Some of you are familiar with the secular author uh, Michael Lewis. He wrote a couple of books that were made into movies, including Moneyball and The Blind Side. Following the 2008 economic meltdown, he wrote a book called Boomerang. And in it, he quoted a researcher who said his studies had led him to believe that genetically human beings are designed for scarcity. If you think about it for a moment, in the history of the world, most times, most places, there have not been enough resources. There's not been enough food. There's not been enough clean water. And in 21st century America, we're blessed to live in a time of abundance for most. But here was the next iteration in this. He said, because we are designed for scarcity, when we live in a time of abundance, we overindulge. Because that drive within us is continuing to eat and to drink and it leads to physical gluttony and to spiritual malnutrition. Because we don't have to depend upon our daily bread because our cupboards are full. We can order more groceries online The grocery store is just down the road. Clean water is there at the tap and it can cause us to forget God. You see it in the Bible. People of Israel, after 40 years in the wilderness, they cross the Jordan, they enter into the promised land. The last sermon Moses preached warned them about this danger. He said, when you've, a- Eaten and you're full, when you've drank and you're satisfied, when your herds have multiplied and your family is doing well, it will be easy for you to forget God. And it's a struggle we face in our culture to this day. I very seldom introduce advanced mathematics in a sermon. Part of the reason is the last math class I took was in 10th grade, advanced algebra and trig. I took that and I said, I'm gonna avoid math classes from now on and I managed to do that. But there's an intriguing study in geometry that talks about fractals. Fractals are shapes that repeat on a small, medium, and large scale in certain objects. Let me give some examples that might make more sense. In nature, crystals, snowflakes, or lightning flashes. Those have a discernible shape on a macro, a large level. But if you look at them on a micro level, they have the exact same shape. They build on each other, fractals. Where I was first introduced to this concept was in a novel by Michael Crichton, you may know the title, Jurassic Park. And in it, one of the characters is talking about fractals and says it's not only applicable to objects, it's applicable to life. And I cut out this quote, and I've kept it for decades. That's how things are. A day is like a whole life. You start out doing one thing, but you end up doing something else. You plan to run an errand, but you never quite get there, and at the end of your life, your whole existence has that same haphazard quality too. Listen to this last line your whole life has the same shape as a single day. It's fractal. Your whole life has the same shape as a single day. What this says to me is two things. Every day reflects who we are and every day affects who we are. First of all, it reflects who we are. Uh, Two negative illustrations. We are very good at self-rationalization of saying we're usually like this, except. But if somebody says, I am an honest person, but they cheat on tests at school, they cheat on their taxes in April, they cheat on their spouse, they're really not an honest person. If we say we are devoted, dedicated Christians... But prayer and Bible study, Christian community and service are not a part of our lives. It's not up for me to judge that, but at least raises questions. The flip side is if today we are a faithful spouse and good parents and grandparents, and as children we honor our fathers and our mothers, and we are friends that friends can depend upon, and we step up to volunteer when there is a need, and we practice those means of grace, they reflect who we are the entirety of our lives. A single day reflects who we are, but this is where I get really excited. It also affects who we are. And the changes we make today can have a lifelong impact, an eternal impact, consequence I've shared with you before as a pastor over the decades I've come to two absolutely contradictory beliefs about human nature the one is first is this people tend not to change we tend to be the same people today we were yesterday we will be tomorrow we get into habits which turn into ruts and we can't seem to get out of them that's my first belief The second belief is this, people can change. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my life. I've seen it happen in others' lives. God breaks in, shows up, shows out, and transforms people's lives. What this also means is what we do on a daily basis. Today can shape the entirety of our lives. One decision one choice can transform who you are and who i am fractals a whole life has the same shape as a single day a fellow pastor tells a story about a family who in his church who went to a family reunion up in north carolina outside of charlotte And the five-year-old boy on the way home just couldn't quit talking about the family reunion dinner they had shared. And he said, Mom, it was the most fabulous ham sandwich I've ever had. And she said, what made it so fabulous? She said, he said, it was the bread. And she was one of those conscientious mothers who had always fed her children whole grain bread and felt a little guilty about that. She thought, maybe I could be a little bit more liberal in that approach. So she went out and bought whole wheat bread instead. That didn't cut it. So she bought honey wheat bread. Still wasn't good. She went out and bought wonder bread. The boy said, it's not the same. She even bought Hawaiian bread. Nope, that's not it. Year passed. Next year came, they rode up to North Carolina for the family reunion. Time came for dinner. The Little boy burst into the room, ran to the table where his aunt's special dish was sitting right there and he grabbed some ham and put it on his plate and then cut two huge slabs of angel food cake and constructed a sandwich. And he said, mom, it's the best bread ever. It's angel food, manna, daily bread. That's what God wants to give us it's there for our reception life has the same shape as a single day and how we take advantage of that daily bread today can shape the rest of our lives one single choice can change the direction radically what is it it's manna angel food the bread of life, living water that satisfies our deepest hunger and quenches our thirst. Let us pray. Gracious God, give us this day our daily bread. Help us to recognize how this day, this day, reflects who we are, but it also affects who we are. Grant us your grace to take advantage of the means of grace that you have placed into our lives, to place our eyes firmly upon you, to depend upon you for each dawn, each morning, each afternoon, each evening, each night. Lead us, O thou great Jehovah, both now and forevermore we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.